I was not a good salesperson, but I worked harder than anyone else and I hit my targets and I won a couple of awards and all of that stuff. But most of it was through hard work. Today, I think everything is more strategic. Marketing plays in so much more, right? It's part of one process. That's why we don't target marketing on on MQLs. We, we, it's not, we don't think about MQLs, SQLs. We do, but there's no target there, right? The target is revenue. Marketing's target is revenue. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello, and welcome to Revenue Insights. This week, I'm joined by Mark Truman. Mark is the Chief Revenue Officer of Edge Petrol. And for that, has led sales development and sales teams at Global Data Energy and Relics, respectively. Mark, amazing to have you on the show. Thanks very much, Lee. So first question, what, what is your story? How's it, how's it got you to, to where you are today? Um, so I fell into sales like the majority of people when I left university. Uh, one of my friends said, come work here. Um, that was, rec- don't admit it too often, that was in recruitment. I was rubbish at that. Thought I knew everything, didn't listen. Went and did something else, was rubbish at that. Realized I started need, uh, needing to listen, right, in order to actually progress in my career. Um, found a really good manager over at Global Data. Um, I'll give him a shout out. His name's Sahan Kuchaki. He'll, uh, he'll appreciate that. Uh, also a very exciting name. And yeah, well, I, you know, I built my, myself up into sales management there, um, took a couple of years away from that company to go work for uh, Reed Elsevier, or you call it Relex, um, where I managed kind of analytics uh, for traders, um, sales teams for, for that. Uh, and then I ended up back at Global Data managing both sales and customer success. Um, so I did that for three more years. And I got to this point where I was like, well, I've done sales. I like that. I've done customer success. I like that too. I love that stuff. Um, knew nothing about marketing. Like, you know, although every salesperson thinks they do know about marketing. Um, but um, I didn't. I can see that now. Um, and I thought, well, that's a big part of the revenue cycle. How can I combine these three things? And it was around the time that actually my wife bumped into one of my old friends um, in a shared workspace, right? And um, he, was, he was putting together a product which was providing, you know, real-time data visibility to petrol retailers. Um, and it sounded, you know, a little bit up my street, I guess, at the time. Um, but I went to meet him and I saw what he was doing and, and the potential for the product. And he said to me, um, you know, I've, I've got a job for you. Um, the title is Chief Revenue Officer. Um, and I've, having not been in SaaS before and, you know, you don't hear that job title too much. I was like, hold on a minute. Does that include marketing? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm in. So I turned up there. It was basically just the two of us and a CTO. Um, and I guess over the last, that was about five years ago now, um, five years in September. And we've, we've grown the company up from there. Um, I've worked out what my role is, right? I've worked out what a chief revenue officer is supposed to do. Um, and I guess there's a fourth um, part that's been added there, which I wasn't aware again even existed at the time, which is revenue operations, um, which is, I guess, I suppose why I'm here today. Um, so that's kind of where, where we've got to. And um, I'm responsible for those four things at Edge Petrol. Um, and we've got a team of probably 20 approximately on the revenue size. So we're still a fairly small operation, um, but we're, we're growing um, and we're hiring. So any good, good people out there, um, please get in touch. 
Well, yeah, make the most of this opportunity, right? Uh, yeah, I'm a salesperson. I'm not, I'm not, that's never gonna, that bit's never going to go away. <laughs> no, I, re- I respect it. I respect it. Um, I, I'm so so intrigued to dig into like what Edge Petrol does. And uh, what, to, to a point that you made there, you know, coming up to five years and starting there literally at the very beginning, could you talk around like how you built out like your, the revenue function? You talked about all the teams that you, did, that you managed. So what's been the journey like to get to where you are today? So, okay, so I'll start, I'll start by just giving you a bit of, of, of what Edge Petrol does, right? So we, yeah. we, we sell to independent um, four-core operators. And what does that actually mean, right? So when you go, when you're driving around your station, and this is the same whether you're in the States or, or the UK and, and often in Ireland as well, which are three markets we operate in, your local Shell or your local BP, there's a good chance it's not actually owned by Shell or BP. They're supplied by that company, but actually behind that is a mom and pop business, right? Or, you know, a, a family business where they, are, they may own one station, they may own 50, um, but they're independent retailers, basically. And that's who our target market is. And for since it was invented, they've been using Excel, outdated information, right? Inaccurate, subject to human, human error, subject to manipulation, all of that stuff to do their pricing, right? And they're trying to work out what's the margin I need to, to obviously make sure that my business continues to run and is, is profitable, but also I've got to be fair to the customer or I won't have any volume. So they're, they're trying to make that decision every single day. Obviously, this is super relevant at the moment, right? Where we've got really high fuel prices and um, I think they're getting a bit of a bad, uh, I can see their margins and I can tell you they're getting a lot of bad reputation for no reason. But the, um, yeah, we, we give them visibility on that. So we just show them, we bring that data into one place through a load of connections um, and they're able to, to access that through the Edge Petrol app. Um, and, you know, they put their spreadsheets in the bin. Um, so that, that's where really what our ICP is. But when we first started, we didn't know that, right? We had this product, it was built with a couple of retailers and we were thinking, right, let's get out there and sell to, you know, Asda and, you know, these, these big kind of own 300 stations and, talking to oil companies who own thousands of sites in Europe and that kind of thing. And actually, there was one meeting which uh, the CEO, Gideon, and I took, which we went to South Africa and back in 22 hours with a two-hour meeting in the middle. Like, we literally got on a plane, got off the plane straight into the meeting and back, right, Um, to to go meet a 1,500-site operator. And, you know, we were mad. This wasn't our ICP, Right. And we, we really started to learn that after that meeting, right, that it shouldn't have taken a trip to South Africa, but it did. And we started being a lot more specific about who we're targeting and the problems that our product actually solves. So the first hire from my side was customer success because I was back to my roots, right? Um, sometimes door knocking, right? Uh, often calling up. There was no kind of Zoom meetings. It was all field sales, you know, um, outreach and cold calling and that stuff. Um, people were very receptive. So it was a bit easier than jobs I've done before. Um, but I am. Um, I've, I've realized that, you know, if I'm going to be out doing that, we have to bring in customer success. And I think that's, that's the first thing I'd say to anyone who's new to, to being a CRO is get customer success in early um, because Sarah, our VP of customer success to this date, you know, put all those processes in and, you know, got her hands dirty managing the customers early on and now has a team in place. Um, that was then followed by hiring, a, you know, a salesperson or two, which I managed directly. We brought in a bit of marketing on the side, um, and that team's kind of grown from there as as the number of customers have grown. Um, and circa 2019, we we realised that you know we're doing really well in the UK. There's a big product market fit here. You know, the same problem exists in America. We'd already managed to get into Ireland, and 
we need to go to the States, right? There's 8,000 stations or 8,250 petrol stations in the UK or gas stations for any uh, Americans listening. And there's 120,000 of them in the US, of which 90,000 basically sit within our ICP. So, you know, can't miss out on that opportunity. Uh, That was about three years ago. Um, You know, had a pandemic in between, potentially still going, depending how you look at it. So it wasn't without its challenges, but um, it became very clear very quickly that, you know, especially with the pandemic stopping the field sales element, that we were going to need to change the way we needed to sell. So we brought in a VP of sales, Dan Richardson, um, to um, to run that, uh, to build, to change our field sales team into a remote team that can sell via Zoom, via um, video call. And obviously that opened up a whole poss- you know, possibility of market, new data, all of those things, uh, which we obviously use today. Um, and yeah, it really took off in the States. The product market fits there. Um, you know, we're, we're at the early stages still of, of getting those sites implemented and, and getting the product to where it needs to be to serve them. But in terms of actually getting the sales team up, we've got a waiting list of, of you know, 70, 80 customers over there who, who, you know, are waiting to go live on the Edge Petrol product. So it's... Um, Dan, and Dan's built that sales team out himself. Um, we have we we have sales representation in the UK, but there's there's kind of a team of SDRs, a team of AEs, specialised, and um, we we got to a point where we had all this data coming in on sales and. Well, we we had to go get a RevOps, right? And that that was something that was new to me um, at the time. It was Dan who said, "Yeah, we need revenue operations, pal." <laughs> um, and yeah, um, and I listened to Dan because I'm scared of him. So um, that's what we did. Yeah, and I suppose that brings you to where you are now. So how has revenue operations helped to bring all of those functions together and actually, you know, enabled you to to really start scaling? So we when we first like put HubSpot in, so we don't use Salesforce. Um so that's uh, that's a controversial subject for a lot of people. But um when we first put in, we had an idea of what we wanted to achieve, um, but no idea how to really achieve it. Right. And then you find a way to achieve it. And by the time you've done that, the goalposts have moved. You've got another idea of what you want to achieve and no idea how to achieve it. Um, and really, this is, this is kind of what RevOps does within our organization and probably does within other organizations is that they're part of that change management, pro- management process of improving what you do with your data and how that data works, um, providing that, that kind of ability for, to optimize that sales team uh, and customer success and marketing actually across the board. So we we decided to when we when we brought RevOps on, really it was to to really get HubSpot in order and that kind of thing. And it kind of coincided with the time where we started looking into, you know, software like like Ebster, for example. Um, you know, we 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 use Gong, um, we use Salesloft. Um, and I know you had uh, Mary Shea from Outreach on uh, a, f- a few weeks ago. Um, it was funny because when, when when Mary was saying about um, you know, how how did you get that really fancy job title? And it made me think about, you know, how the hell did I end up as a chief revenue officer? But yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's brought, really brought all of those functions together. They all talk to each other, right? And that's given us this, this new kind of data function, which is driving how we make sales decisions for the sales team, for marketing, for customer success. Because, you know, with, without that data, it's very difficult to see where those improvements could be. Yeah, and uh, I think for, to, to the point that you were making before, I think for a, a lot of people, it's like, how on earth have I kind of got to this situation? I feel like you should probably change your title to Chief Revenue, maybe Evangelist at this point. Yeah, I like Evangelist. Evangelist is good. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm going to become Marketing Guru, I think, at this rate. So I'm interested to know, um, so over the course of that, you know, that journey, building the team out, now you've got revenue operations in. So what would you say 
is has probably been like the the biggest challenge that you faced over the past five years in getting to this point. Pro, well, I mean, it was definitely that change in how we sell. Right, we 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 had our sales process ripped out from under us in, in, during the pandemic, and you know, from our point of view, I mean, bar a few months, like you know, th- this is an essential industry that we work in. So it didn't really hurt us in terms of the customers, what the customers wanted to achieve, um, but reaching those customers, I mean, like our ICP, you know, independent forecourt operators, right, mum and pop stores, that kind of thing, they don't hang out on Instagram or TikTok. I mean, maybe their kids do, and their kids are starting to come into the business, but they're very hard to reach right they hang out at events that's where you find them right so we had to really change our strategy to you know become a, an online business right in a market that does not hang out online so it, it was definitely a challenge for marketing um it was definitely a challenge for sales in order to, to finding the people to actually go and sell to and that's also where RevOps comes in right you know uh, buying and, and dealing with the right lists and you know working with the sales team to identify which markets are best and, and which territories they need to go after and the type of companies that they need to sell to um but certainly you know from from a marketing point of view as well trying to move that online um was extremely challenging um and we've we've built up a really solid following um both by our newsletter which has over a thousand readers um you know this this you remember there's only eight thousand stations in the uk so i think that's that's pretty good going um but we built that up over time and we put these new processes in and that was really difficult um it was difficult because at the time there was just a handful of us and that startup life isn't it you do multiple things um but it was it was particularly challenging as well because we didn't have any data Right, and we didn't have anyone to sort the data. We did have, we had data actually. That's not true. We had data. It just wasn't sorted properly. It wasn't organised, and most importantly, there was nobody really to look at that data and go, "This means that. This means this." Um, and that's what what Carl, who our VP of RevOps, who's our VP of RevOps, does, um, is really guide us in the right directions, or at least set set up the the um, the system in a way that the VPs can look at it and say, "This is what we need to do." And so, and off the back of that, um, obviously, and with, with the move, particularly into the US market, how how exactly are you, you know, uniting your teams around that common goal of ultimately revenue growth? Well, we use OKRs. Yeah, we're rubbish at it. I mean, it was just, you know, we well, started doing it. Clearly not that bad, right? <laughs> well, no. Well, we, we, yeah, I suppose, but we've. Um, well, you could just say we're just good at all the other stuff, I guess. Um, yeah. But it, it's. Uh, it's it's a laborious process, and we, we we are quite a particular bunch. Whereby, if we do something, we want to do it properly. So you can set uh, you can set OKRs and go, look, this is our OKR, and then you kind of we're all sat in a room going, mm, feels like a task, not an OKR. That's binary. Get it out. And we're so meticulous on it that the first couple of times we did it, they've, they've kind of ended up meaning nothing really. Um, so that is that is something which is is a work in progress. But I feel is giving us the type of direction we need as a business to, to go and achieve. Um, and that is that's the key, right? Having that goal and having the objective of what you want to do, um, whether that's at a company level, mission statement, uh, vision statement for the product, whatever it might be, um, that is something that you can rally people around. Um, and OKRs make it visible, it makes it transparent, but most of all, it allows you to see whether you've hit that goal or not. Um, so we're, we're pretty... You know, we 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 set one for each team, um, and they are getting better. But it's not a process where you just do it and it works, right? It, it has to, uh, especially in a business where there's a lot of change uh, very quickly, breaking it down into into three month cycles of, you know, this is what we what we want to do this quarter. This is where we want to focus is is pretty difficult. 
So I, I would say that that's probably one way. Um, but also the transparency of the data, right? Everyone's got access to HubSpot, right? We send around reports from that all the time. Um, you know, you, you can see as uh, somebody in marketing, you know, what the SDR's, um, you know, demo show ratio is, for example. Um, and you can think of a way, and we encourage people to think like this, that, you know, oh, hold on a minute, right? What can I do to influence that result? Right. What can I do to make sure that, you know, this, this number, like, how can I own that number? Right. And I think it's thinking like that, which has got us a lot, you know, we've, we've achieved on a lot of the things we've done where somebody from another department has gone, actually, if I did this, that would actually help this department do, do, you know, achieve their goal. And that transparency of OKRs, transparency of data, um, which is totally enabled by RevOps, who manages our OKR function, um, that, that's key to, to being successful, I think. I love the, um, the the transparency that you've got like across the business. So I'm intrigued to know how you know when you have the transparency. How how do you actually? What, what's the secret to getting people to really engage with that? So it's all well and good. You know, you've got access to this report, you've got access to this dashboard, but it's I think it's a whole other ball game to get um, people to look at that and go, I can, I can influence this. I can you know make a suggestion. So, I mean, there's like any business, there's things we do well and things we don't do well with with all these things. And like, so you have entire channels on Slack, which used to be like the best channels for engagement between different teams and that kind of thing. And now they're just inundated with alerts from HubSpot. Nobody goes in them. Nobody reads these alerts. It's just absolute noise. And they still exist in our business, right? It's not like, We've cleaned that up. And funny enough, I was I was in with Carl today and it was one of the subjects we were talking about is we should probably just shut this channel down. We don't need it, right? Yeah. Um, so you can get yourself trying to provide too much visibility, gets you into a mess. Um, we have um, a couple of set meetings, um, certainly on revenue, whereby um, we have what we call state of the nation. And that's, every, that's an all-hands meeting every Monday, um, run through wins, challenges, right? Run through the numbers, maybe pick a five-minute specialist subjects where we dig in some of the data. Um, you know, look, this is how our average order value has changed over the last year, maybe. Or this is what we've done with demo no-show rate. We look at the OKRs, maybe. And it's, it's not necessarily structured to a point where people turn up and they know what they're going to be looking at. Um, but it's, it's at the discretion of, of the people running it to decide what they want to show. And then you break that down by team. We have a bi-weekly revenue hands and that is literally fast and furious half an hour you know 10 minutes per team and it's it's okay our update it's what are they working on what campaigns marketing running on um and you know we're, we're trying our best we're not you know we're no we're not perfect but we're trying our best to use the this you know this data to drive those conversations um so you're right if you just send an email out you know hardly anyone's going to read it um but the reports do go round on a, on a Friday as well. So it sounds a bit bureaucratic, but it's not. It's really, it's really for transparency and collaboration. Yeah, no, I like, I like the way that with the meetings, it really starts to pull it all together in a way. You know, you've got ownership over, you know, each team um, reporting back. And ultimately, it's, it's having at the top, you know, it's all based on, you know, what impact am I having on revenue at the end of the day? And I think that's so important. And actually, you know, you've talked about we get some things right and we get other things wrong. I think that's such an important one to have, particularly, you know, at the stage that, that you guys are at. And it's, it's much the same for us as well, where, you know, revenue at the end of the day is the key thing where it's like, what am I doing today that's actually going to have an impact on that figure at the end? Yeah. And, and what do I want this number to be in 12 months time? Right. What's what's my what's our current NRR? What should that number be? What's the benchmark? And what's that going to be in 12 months? And 
trying to, to, you know, you can't, unless you're telling the business, this is what we want to do. It's, it's, and again, we're not, we are not perfect to this by any, any means, but unless you're, you're communicating those goals, it's, it's very difficult to, um, you know, to get people behind you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm really keen to, to, to dig into a bit more about like your industry as a whole, because I'm guessing that most people listening, uh, myself included, talking to you, um, so curious around like what it's like. And I think particularly at the minute, given you know price of oil, cost cost of petrol or uh, or gas, as you rightly said before, how how do you like um, adapt in that industry where it can be so volatile? Yeah, well, the volatility is causing mayhem for retailers. So, um, again, you say most most people won't know this. So, you know, the the first thing that we mentioned earlier is you go to your BP and you think it's BP, right? And it and it is the fuel is supplied by BP, and a lot of that cost is made up by by BP's upstream divisions, right? Um, if you like, so further up the chain. But the the you know the, at the end of the day, that station is owned by Joe Smith, single site operator. Right, um, and Joe's got a big problem because the, the when the prices are moving around so much, it's very difficult. You know, obviously to get hold of your margin, and Edge Petrol does that for you. But you'll receive a delivery on a Tuesday, right? That will be at one price. Um, by Friday, the price might have moved down, but you're still using the fuel from Tuesday, right? So your customer, your competitors are going down. You can't follow them because you'll be losing money, and then everyone's coming past your site and they're going, ah, profiteera, right? So they are really being hit hard by this, right? I mean, you know, the, the everyone's taking a hit, but they they are particularly struggling because they don't have the same cost economics as, you know, the supermarkets or, you know, potentially the all company-owned sites. So they are, they, they have, we've seen negative margins a lot recently. Um, and, you know, you could argue what's, you know, what, what's bad for them in that sense is good for us in that it, it does create value for our products massively. Um, and we talk, you know, we need to be careful, right? We, we don't want to, to be really on the political side of this. Mm, um, sure. So, you know, we, we don't shout about it as much as maybe we could, but we are really helping these retailers understand whether they're making or losing money at the moment. Um, and a lot of them have been losing money, um, you know, in, in recent weeks as they've, they've just refused to go over two pounds, but their fuel's costing them two pounds, right? Um, so it's it's been a sticky situation for them, um, which, which I you know, I, I like to think we've, you know, for the best part, helped them get through. Yeah, and it's quite interesting, like with that, and also like um, with what you were talking about before, with how your sales teams had to adapt to it as well. You know, to basically like remote selling. I think we found certainly that for um, with within revenue intelligence, right, there was that big shift where it used to be um, salespeople always in the office. You've got kind of visibility in a way just by proxy of everyone being there. And then everyone starts going remote and all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's actually like far more of a need for this product now, right? There's actually far more value of it because, you know, as people start to work remotely more, actually it becomes far more important at that stage. Yeah, I, th- I think that, I mean, that's definitely another thing, right? Um, you know, you cannot see how your site is performing without, really without Edge Petrol from your house, right? Um, we've, we've got customers who are telling me the minute I get off a plane, before I take off and as I land, I'm switching on the app, right? And I'm having a look at how the station's performing, what's my volume today. Um, so it definitely helps with that kind of remote element. Um, and from our point of view, in terms of having a remote team, um, you know, without going to, I think it's been spoken about a lot, the remote subjects, but, um, you know, I, I, it, again, it's, it's driving the transparency 
through the teams and having that kind of collaborative approach is, you know, it, it, we haven't really had a single kind of issue or, or anything. We, we got rid of our office in, we, we were the, one of the first people to go kind of mid-February, don't want anyone getting sick, everyone go home, right? Um, but then, f- first of all, uh, so the first thing was that. And then the second thing we did was just got rid of the office. And we just said, you know what? We don't need to be in an office to do this. We still come in. I'm in an office right now. We have a shared workspace. We grab a meeting room. But it's it's been a much easier process than I thought shifting this to an online business. And I think it's the people we've brought in, definitely. Um, but it's also the way we've got all that visibility set up um, across our systems, which is allowing that to actually function properly. Yeah, and I think that's such an important part. I want uh, to to move away from that subject of, of like remote um, I'm interested to know then, you know, you, you've had five years, you've had a good good stab at it, I, I suspect, by this point. If you could roll back time knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? Buy Salesforce? <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, we probably have no money left if we did that. Um, I don't know if that's the uh, answer to your problem, yeah. either. <laughs> no, it's probably the creator of a load of problems, right? What would I do differently? I mean, there's a million. Um, I think I would have gone and got a VP of sales earlier. Right. Um, again, it's difficult to say because you're obviously restricted by the funding you have at the time and, you know, number of customers you have and how much is being invoiced and all of that stuff. Um, but really what I would say is if I was to come back at edge and start again, I'd raise twice as much money and I'd grow the teams twice as quickly. I would only hire senior people to begin with. Right. And that, that doesn't mean like we're not a business that goes out and hires A players. Like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're not Netflix where their policy is higher at the top of the market. And, you know, we, we just, we expect everyone to be top standard. If you're, you know, if you're not top standard, that's fine, but it's not for us. See you later. We're not that company. And the majority of people that work here have never done their jobs that they're doing before. The CEO's never been a CEO before. I've never been a CRO before. Um, you know, in, in our, in our team, in the revenue team, the only VP that's done their job before is Dan, right? Sarah, Claire, and Carl, who are RevOps, um, well, not respectively, but uh, Sarah's CS, Claire is marketing, and Carl is, is RevOps. They've never been VPs before, right? Um, so, you know, and I haven't necessarily run that sort of, you know, Claire's got no background in in um, kind of B2B marketing. She used to work, you know, very closely with Disney or movie releases, right? So, you know, we're, we're a business where we take people who we're very much looking for that culture fit, right? We're, we're very much looking at are you determined? Are you, do you have grit, basically, is, is, is tick one? And do you have business acumen? Because if you do, you can basically do anything on revenue with a bit of guidance and coaching and, and training. Um, and people have taken big steps up, right? That's that's really driven kind of what we're doing. And I think that came from going out and hiring senior people. They, ne- they didn't necessarily have the experience of, of what, you know that specific role. And I can tell you with Dan, that speeds things up. Right, you know, Dan came in. He he showed me an interview, uh, a plan in the interview, and he has executed that to perfection. Right, you know, it's, it's there is a difference, of course, but we love that kind of learning element. Like we love that, you know, development and growing and you know promotions. And there's not tons of them going here. We're only fifty people company, but everyone sees how they've grown and developed right over the last five years. And I think that would be the main thing, right? Go in and get that, that VP team in place from day one, right? So that, you know, and if I think if we had done that, you know, from a revenue point of view, we'd be probably a couple of years more mature than we are. Firstly, I completely agree because uh, I've, I've found the same thing myself. And it's so interesting to me, I like hearing you mention it, where I'm like, okay, so because uh, I think we found a very similar thing as well. But it's interesting that um, 
it keeps coming up. Like I keep hearing this, uh, the same advice from people where it's like, yeah, I wish I'd hired more, more experience at the beginning, but also at the beginning that I think it's, um, it's a double-edged sword where you also don't really, you don't know like what you're getting into and like who you're bringing in and whether they're going to bring, you know, the, the process and the expertise that you ultimately need to get you to where you need to go to. So it's definitely, uh, it's so hard to balance, I find. Sure, but that that's why that pro, that having that expertise in, pro, in the process itself is is not important. The question is, can you build a process, right? Can you, you know, we're not we're not looking for someone who who we absolutely know can do this job and it's a guarantee, right? Um, and actually, considering that, we've had very few kind of failures in in, in hiring, right? So. I, yeah, I, I, you're right. Yeah, it, it is. It is a well. You know. You know. Is how my. How do I know if it's the right person? But that's why we look for those attributes, right? There's there's the business acumen. There's the you know. Are they a learner? Right? Are they coachable? Right? You know. Are they able to self assess? Um, do they want to progress and learn? Um, that's that's the tick box. And you know, are they are they determined? And if you've got those attributes, you know, it doesn't matter if you know what you're talking about because you'll learn it, yeah. right? Um, and I think that that was. I suppose that's something we stick to today uh, as part of our culture that we we hire people to do jobs that are potentially beyond their their current reach but you know we we hire people that can then learn that job and and fit into it and become a very um competent part of the business. So given your background obviously you're like primarily in sales and customer success before how did you take what you had learned there and you know and started to apply it to I guess initially the the people that you hired at the beginning, but then also the more experienced people that you've brought in since. Yeah, so I come from a pretty um, pretty tough sales background, I'd say. It's very different from what sales is today. Um, there's still the same stuff, right, um, which, which Dan would call and his team would call pick banty. Um, I won't start going through the algorithm specifically, <laughs> not because I can't, um, but it, it's, it's different in that I was full cycle, right? I was... I, I would make a hundred calls a day. I, I wasn't that good. I'm going to be honest, right? I was not a good salesperson, but I worked harder than anyone else, and I hit my targets, and I won a couple of awards and all of that stuff. But most of it was through hard work. Um, when it when, today, I think everything is more strategic. Marketing plays in so much more, right? It's part of one process. That's why we don't target marketing on on MQLs, and we, you know, we start, we don't think about MQLs, SQLs. We do, but there's no target there, right? The target is revenue. Marketing's target is revenue. Um, so customer success's target is also revenue. So, um, and my target is revenue. So it's, yeah, I, th- I think that that is, that's something that I, you know, I guess I brought over with me that determination or work ethic, if you like, but I was selling in a very similar way to start with. And we had months, which were barren months where I wasn't getting deals in. And I think that's what Dan brought in, right? He was very much like, oh, okay, well, what's the problem you're trying to solve here? And I was like, what do you mean? He <laughs> was like, well, that's probably the way to start, right? Um, and we kind of knew the answer, of course. And of course, I've, you know, I've, I've done that, that type of sale in the past and that, that's the basis of the sale. But um, I think that that that's probably what we missed there. What what I did bring was was that grit, right? That determination to to get things over the line. You know, I I spoke to every fuel retailer that I could get my hands on. Right? I would I would drive if I had an empty day. I would drive up and down the A1, stopping up petrol stations and handing in my card. And you know, I would go buy three liters of fuel just to get a receipt so I could see who the owner was. Yeah, I've I've done I've done meetings in in toilets. 
right? Uh, because the, there's no office on site, right? <laughs> so intrigued to know how that came about. <laughs> um, the office is being redone. Um, if you want a quiet room, this is it, right? It <laughs> um, so sounds like I've, a big toilet, to be honest. I've, uh, it wasn't that big, actually. I've, um, I've, I've also met a guy who, when I, got, when I drove all the way to Scotland to see this guy, and he said, look, I'm not really interested in your products. I'm making loads of money anyway, right? You know, I've, I've done my thing and all this and so on. And I, you know, I've, I've, I've been doing this for 40 years. I made my money. I'm not really interested in making more money. Okay, fine. And he goes, but you want to see my pigeons? I said, well, what do you mean your pigeons? He takes me out back and I'm like, there's no pigeons here. And he picks up a load of seed and he chucks it into a trough. And then all these pigeons fly off the canopy of his petrol station, right? Over my head, into this, into this trough. Um, so yeah, there are some real real characters in this industry and, and I've seen, seen all that stuff. But um, in terms of of what I've applied, I think I would say most of it was probably working with Sarah on customer success, right? On, you know, making sure that the team are accountable for the renewal of that account. And sometimes it is out of your hands, but our, our churn is around 2%, right? Um, which is a shit-hot number, right? It's a shit-hot <laughs> really, number. Really and, when you, and it's not that we've never lost a customer for a product reason, right? But, um, you know, it, either it will be a, a technical issue with a you know a, a partner integration where that partner wasn't didn't play ball or wasn't capable of helping us with that integration. That's quite rare. Um, or they sell their stations. I mean, that's where our churn comes from. So you know that that yeah, that's product market fit. But our customer success team are are incredibly good, and I think it's that what I picked up from managing customer success team, having never done customer success success myself, is you know there's a very um, there's we're a very high touch customer success unit. Um, and you could argue as a SaaS business, you don't really want to be. You want to lower that touch as much, much as possible. Um, but that high touch has definitely enabled us to get to where we are. Definitely by churn rate, um, but also an NRR. But also in terms of the product development, making sure it was the product market fit it was today. So I think that's probably the best lessons I took was, was how I handled customers in, previous, in my previous roles. Um, I think between Sarah and I, we've, we've really applied that um, to the team here. I really want to cycle back to, to to one of the points you made before. To the pigeons. You want to hear more about the pigeons? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, did you manage to sell the product in the end? To the guy with the pigeons? Yeah. You're kidding me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. No. no. Well, you know. <laughs> Never spoke to him again. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully he's listening. I think it's very unlikely. But, um, I'd say so too. <laughs> <laughs> now, the bit I want to cycle back to, because I, I thought it was really interesting, that was uh, from the, obviously, marketing, you're measuring them based on their impact on revenue. Do you find that um, having such a common goal across every department that you have do you find that's quite um like empowering for them i think that what we i guess that's probably the beauty of the okrs right or having an okr structure in place is that this is your goal how you really get there and how you hit those key results is is kind of over to you and, and remember we're quite new to this so we're not quite there yet but we're trying the whole freedom and responsibility thing right we don't have any holiday policy um you know we're we're, we're starting to be um because we were quite old school, really, in the way, we, like, you know, I'm ex-big company. Gideon, uh, the CEO, is ex-Trafigura, right? He's, he's worked for a big oil major, and, you know, it's all quite bureaucratic in these places. Or that. I, don't, I, don't, I can't speak for him, but I've, I've, been, I've been subject to some bureaucracy in my time. Um, 
And I, I think what what we've managed to do is is kind of free ourselves from those shackles first, right? Um, we you know we do not like the word policy. We don't like the word rules, right? You have to have some rules, right? And and I think there's again I go back to this Netflix. We've got a, we've got a big passion for that no rules rules book here at, um, at Edge. Like everyone's had a read, and we're like, yeah, let's be more like Netflix. And then you read Netflix again down the pan, you think, well, okay, <laughs> you know, maybe it's not the right thing to do. But they um, they. It certainly like, you know, way we see it is, you know, we hate rules, right? We like freedom, but freedom and trust is earned, right? So um, after one year, you get endless, you know, if you survive a year here, right, which most people do, um, you get um, unlimited holiday, right? We've we've given that. And, and what you're doing is you're, you're saying like, we trust you. You're going to do your work, right? We've hired you because we believe you're going to do this work and you care. Um, we, you know, we expect because of the type of, because of the hiring process we have in place, we know you're the type of person that's going to go and do your own development. And if you're not getting what you need from us, you're going to tell us, right? Um, you're going to say, look, I want development on this. And we invest a fair amount in training and, and external kind of uh, courses. And if someone came to me and said, look, is this course and it's going to help me do X, Y, and Z as per the company OKR or whatever it is. Um, and it's, or, or even I want to do this course and it's not even going to help the company in any way, but it's going to help me further my career down the line. The answer is almost always yes. Right. Um, so that kind of top level transparency of, of, what we're trying to achieve is absolutely necessary in order to give people that kind of freedom and responsibility. Um, because without it, they're just going to make the wrong decisions. And that's not on them. That becomes on us as a management team to, you know, or a leadership team, whatever you want to call it, to say, well, you know, if we're not telling you what we're trying to achieve, how are you actually going to be able to, to, to contribute to that? And, and, you know, unless we tell you exactly what to do. Yeah. No, I, I, I think the uh, the theme of the episode has definitely been around like the transparency that that you guys have, and and I think that probably it, it like empowers the people that are working with you as well, right? Where it is like here's where we're trying to get to, and it's very much a case of I guess you're giving a lot of responsibility um, over to people to then to make it their own and to shape it, and I guess. It would be so interesting, I think, to to perhaps regroup in, say, like twelve months' time. You know, after you've properly broken into the US and and have a look at, you know, how's that going for you now in terms of having that freedom as you start to scale? Yeah, I mean, we've got I think eight people, seven people in the US, eight people. I'm not 100 percent sure, but they none of them are based in the same city. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, which is true because we're here. We're pretty much all in London, bar bar a few people. Um, so yeah, how how that US team grows and evolves and develops is going to be really interesting um, because it is a re- it's not just remote like it's really remote, right? Um, <laughs> you know, it's 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 like you have to fly somewhere to see someone else like hours. Um, so one of the things I actually uh, wanted to touch on with these OKRs, right? Something that I thought about is one of our recent ones was around demo no shows. I think I mentioned this earlier a little bit of, of one of the impacts of, of our revenue operations. So the, so a no-show for us is we book a demo, our SDRs book a demo. And remember, there's still a heavy outreach like with what we do, right? These We are not getting inbounds. I mean, they're very rare, right? Fuel retailers aren't sitting around going, oh, I, I really need fuel pricing software. You know, they've got their spreadsheet. They've spent hours building it. They love it, right? And, you know, they're not really aware of the problems that their spreadsheet has. And we're trying to educate them on that. But the the, the SDRs will book a demo and we have a huge problem because of the type of market we have with people showing up for those demos. And I think I'm doing this off my top of my head. You could argue I should have come more prepared with the numbers. But I think we are at around 45% of demos were not showing up. Oh my right? Gosh. It's a yeah. massive number. Imagine, can you imagine 
you know how you, you guys, right? You send out a Canonly link or, or whatever, and it's like, yeah, you know, oh, you want a demo? Here's a Canonly link, book in some time in my calendar. That would never work with what we do. So we put on, um, we, we realized this, not just, to, we didn't only realize that we had such a bad no-show problem, but the data showed us that people who didn't show up, even if we got them back on the call, right, they were not, um, they, they were not buying. And we actually realized out of all these qualified deals that we had, all these closed loss deals, that if they had no show in their, in their kind of process, um, they, were, they were a dud. They did not buy, right? And so I started saying, if someone doesn't show, why are you even chasing them, right? And I got an aha. On the contrary, we just need to change the way we handle people who don't show. So off the back of the, off their own back, the SDRs, they put, um, they could see the data, they could see the information because it's set up perfectly by the revenue operations division. And they realized that this was a big problem. We decided on that as an OKR. Um, and they went and using SalesLoft, um, sorry, Mary, <laughs> using SalesLoft, um, we, we, put together a um a cadence which um ba- basically tries to bring people back onto the demonstration um and that started to reduce the amount of no shows right and so this okr was was being pretty successful but then what they also did is they put a cadence together for people who didn't show up at all right so they did they no showed and they th- then it went another seven days and so they had this this different kind of cadence for, for people who actually maybe you brought them back onto demo maybe you didn't but there was different cadences for different types of um types of situations and i've um i got a so so Dan, VP of Sales, is someone who likes to say, "I told you so." Um, always, always someone you want to surround yourself with. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, after saying to you, "Don't bother with no shows; they're a waste of time." Right? Typical, just typical, like sea level. Just brush it under the under the carpet, please. Um, we've sold to, I think, four of them this quarter. Nice. Right. Yeah. People who didn't show up to the first demo, the cadences they put together um, has resulted in four deals, sizable deals, which we otherwise wouldn't have got. And that's all coming from the OKRs, right? That's all being driven from the top of, you know, sure, it's, it's a bottom-up build and then a, a top-down kind of approach. But it's, that is literally a direct result of having a focused objective for a quarter. Yeah. Um, and, and that is enabled by revenue operations. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic example. Uh, I guess my only question is, how long is Dan going to hold this one over your head? Forever. <laughs> he, I, I, he's, he writes them all down. Like, it's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful way of, um, of how revenue operations, though, can work with the sales function to, as you say, look at that data, identify the problem. And, you know, this is really what we love going into, like, in, in the podcast anyway, is, like, understanding even just in that small example of that one little data point like I'm sure to you, you would have looked at it and just gone 45%. That's just absolutely huge number. Absolutely huge. But that's only down to 30 to 37. Like there's been an improvement there. It's it's I think the goal was 35. I think it was to reduce it by that that 10% number. And we we almost got there, I think. Um, but I think this whole thing, uh, what I guess the point, you know, that maybe people can take from this is. It's, this is why it's a really good idea to give revenue operations the management of your OKRs. Like they don't necessarily, you know, and, and you would you would imagine they, you know, they've got to populate the data anyway. But Carl runs those sessions, right? Our VP of RevOps. He's he's not he's not a, a passenger. And yeah, this is the data I need to go away and put into to GTM Hub, which is what we use to, to track those OKRs. Um, he's running them and guiding everyone and saying, well, 
mm, is that really right? Or how important is that? What kind of impact would that have? And he's a big part of setting those objectives. And because he's got that knowledge of, of the different parts of the business that he can bring to the table, it's, yeah, it, it has a big impact on, on the OKRs we set. So although I said we're not great at it, like there are a few success stories in there. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I know from a lot of the guests that we've had on, you know, kind of touch on it, it's so many of those small little problems that you're solving that, you know, to you, it's like, well, we got it from 45 to 37. Yeah, didn't quite hit the goal. But the point is, is actually more around the fact that you managed to increase it by 8%, which to me actually is a pretty big jump, right? And when you are starting to measure stuff on the impact on revenue and you start to understand, okay, so yeah, okay, it was small in isolation. But when you start doing that on a more consistent basis, like across like your revenue organization, you know, making those small improvements, it leads to those, you know, marginal gains that over time compound and and really start to have a massive impact on the bottom line. Because what because if you break it down, what have you got there, right? You've got eight percent or it doesn't actually work out as eight percent more, but let's just call it eight eight percent more um people who are attending demos right, and can go through that process. So attending demos in the first instance when they're still warm, right, which which creates a better close ratio. Again, I don't have the data to back that up, but I'm guessing, right? Um, or maybe it worsens the close ratio, but certainly helps you close more, hey, right? Hey, trust you. And then, yeah, right? But then you've got this, this switch from, you know, the, these um, people, the people who do no-show, right, it's, you're moving them out of never show into into they were once a no show into a demo, and you've gone from not closing them to turning them into deals, right? So we've actually managed to hit this on on two fronts. Um, and actually, the OKR didn't specify a key result for the second one um, because I dismissed it outright, of course. <laughs> um, but it, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's and you start to see, you know, you know your conversion rates, right? Um, or at least you should. If you don't, that's, that'd be step one. Yeah. And that conversion rate is going to tell you. You know that this is what that you know that impact potentially was on our revenue. Yeah, and can be going forward. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, Mark, I want to ask one final question before we wrap up. Uh, if you could recommend one book to perhaps another CRO or in fact a RevOps leader, what would it be? Oh man! But if I hadn't mentioned it already, I would have said No Rules Rules. I love that book. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> can, we've got. We to... can talk about it. We've got a bit of, I tell you, I tell you what I really like, right? Um, so we've been very big on culture the last year. Yeah. Um, and I think the guy's name is Patrick Lencioni, right? And he does basically short fables. So they're super easy to read. Um, and they're business lessons in the format of a fable, right? Um, and a lot of people, I'm sure like a lot of kind of C-levels and sales leaders and so on will, will know about this already, but, um, you know, five dysfunctions of a team, um, death by meeting, all of, any, any of those, I think there's a collection of five of them that you could buy together. Um, they're, they're pretty, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see a lot of yourself in those things and you'll think, oh, is that me? Am I doing that? Yeah. Um, so that's what I really liked about them. I love it. That was, that was a curveball that I was not expecting, fables. What were you expecting? Well, they are business fables, to be fair. They're not just like, they're not like old kind of like um, mystical stories. No, or, it's, or it's, it's interesting to compare like every guest that we have on, you know, that, that usually they are like quite business related. And I'm waiting for the guest that, that we have on that is like, you know what? Here's like this fiction book that just changed my, the way Harry, that I think Harry Potter. Like, yeah. Harry Potter. <laughs> that just changed my career. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to happen at some point, I'm sure. Mark, 
I'm going to wrap up there. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. The last thing before we go, if anyone wants to connect with you, learn a little bit more about Edge Petrol and what you guys are doing, where can they find you? So we've got a website, edgepetrol.com, um, or I'm also on LinkedIn. So feel free to message me. Beautiful. We'll put the link uh, down in the show notes so uh, so everyone can, can come find you. Amazing. Mark, thank you so much. As I say, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And uh, yeah, and to everyone listening, thank you so much. We'll, we'll catch you next week. Thanks, Lee. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.